You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Justice Favor. Now, we've had a lot of guests on the show who have gone the corporate or government route, but Justice represents a welcomed change of pace for us. He is an activist, labor leader, and trade unionist, but it took some time for him to find his path. Justice hails from Far Rockaway, Queens, and due to some poor choices, he ended up incarcerated for six years. Eventually, Justice knew he had to find a legal way to make a better life for himself and set his sights on breaking into a union. Now, Justice has not only furthered his education in labor studies, but also excelled as a union organizer for the Construction and General Building Laborers Local 79. He and I discuss his journey from the New York City Housing Authority to a six-figure career and how he is now helping create pathways to union opportunities for others. So without further ado, please enjoy. Justice. Hey, how you doing? How, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Welcome to the December 26th podcast. Thank you for having me. You just flashed like the huge megawatt smile, smile when I said your name. That's all I had growing <laughs> up was my smile. <laughs> I hear you. Um, so we're happy to have you. I can already tell from the energy that you brought in the room that you have a lot to say, Thank which is so always much. good. This is These are the kinds of guests that we want on the show. No introverts and loud. Right? Exactly. So <laughs> even though I am an introvert, believe it or not. Okay. Um, but I, I know how to talk when I need to. Oh. <laughs> so tell me, who is Justice Favor? Justice Favor, uh, he's a, a resilient young man that persevered, continued to persevere uh, through all kinds of impediments that was actually put in his way. Um, at this point in my life, I'm a, I'm a fierce labor leader, a uh, believer and a knower of true economic development, a trade unionist. But I'm a kid that grew up in Far Rockaway, Queens, the projects, Hamill Houses, and uh, just actually had to jump through a lot of hurdles to actually be to the, be where I'm at today. So, but if I had to describe myself in one word, I would I will I would always choose resilient. Okay, so take me back to the beginning because. Growing up in those environments, it could be very, di- very difficult to find a path out. Um, so what was your early childhood like? So my my early childhood was was pretty rough. I was raised largely by my grandmother, uh, my dad, my father. Actually, I have three siblings on my mom's side that predominantly I was raised with two sisters by my dad, um, you know, have a sort of relationship with. Um, so we grew up in, in housing, NYCHA, the projects, what we like to call it. Uh, my dad was actually in our life strong, you know, for the first 10 years. Um, my um, my grandmother played the major role in our lives, raising us. My mom struggled on early on with substance abuse. So, you know, there was a lot of hardships growing up with that. Um, I was a real bad kid, troubled kid, in terms of always fighting. My anger came from, you know, sometimes having a dysfunctional family at the time. But uh, but I always was, you know, pretty smart. I, um, you know, my dad, I want to shout out him and thank him for actually giving me knowledge yourself and educating me and the importance of being a black man and how important it is to know yourself and know, understand my purpose at that moment. And although my mom, she struggled early on in my life with uh, addicted to crack cocaine, you know, she um, was always still strong. And then my grandmother, you know, from the South as a deep warrior that she is, you know, raised us and kept the family to glued together. Uh, my brothers, I'm the baby boy out of my brothers. So I had a lot to learn from them. So I'm, you know, hard work with a little bit of luck. Some of the things they went through, I was able to actually know not to go through because they was, you know, very important and impactful to my life. So uh, that's the genesis of me from there. Um, it's 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 a little more complex, but it's there. So oh, we're going to dig into the complexity yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I have to start with where did the name Justice come from? Great question. So my name is Justice. My brother name is Supreme. Um, I was born in the Nation Guards and Earth. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, which is a five percenter. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad and my mom also identified as five percenters at the time. Um, so justice was a it was a name that was given to me because it means a reward or a penalty depending on how he or her wisdom they're understanding. Um, we identify with us being the black man is God. That's who we are. Always has been. Always will be. Um, so that shaped and molded me to who I am today. Um, don't need any pork. I identify with that. As a result of that, that had me, I don't believe in, um, identify with believing in a mystery God, not, uh, you know, uh, knocking anyone else's belief. But, you know, I, I, I think back and as a result of having that knowledge of and knowing who I am, 
that always motivated me <clears throat> to actually never be dependent on a system or individual or any type of entity to actually, you know, help me out. I know that I had to, you know, get up and do what I have to do with no excuses. Mm -hmm. So being born into NYCHA, right, which people who are not in New York, New York City Housing Authority. Yes. Um, in that environment, having a mother who was addicted to crack, and I'm Absolutely, presuming yes. this is during the crack era. Absolutely. Um, so there are certain stigmas that come with that, right? Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, people still to this day trivialize the term crackhead, you know, Absolutely. et cetera. So did you feel that from your community, you know, judgment or people making fun because your mom was battling addiction? So it's it's weird. So my first fight actually came, my first anger, my first fight came as a result of someone making a joke of that. Um, I had, you know, hit a kid in the face with an apple in school. Mm -hmm. So, but overall, yes, it's a stigma. The fact that typically like kids where their mothers was on drugs was typically the hardest and most toughest kids mm -hmm. in those areas. So we didn't really get picked on and bullied more or less. We dictated the tone of the, of the community in that regards. So... As a result of that, we didn't actually, you know, blatantly, we didn't get any disrespect. The stigmas was, yes, when we actually, I was ashamed at some time when, let's say, if my mom needed to come up to the school, I kind of didn't really want her to ever come up to my mm -hmm. school because now, you know, folks that don't really come from the community can actually get a visual of what you're dealing with. Then that was the part that I, the stigmas was associated with that. And I was personally ashamed of. Um, it's funny because my mom, although she indulged, she was, she was a tough, she was a gangster though, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she was a very tough woman even during her her trials and tribulations, right? Where guys would come back like, yo, your mom just robbed me or she just took this and people <laughs> begging me. I remember my mom was just like, you know, had had a fight with a woman and like cut her up bad. I had to get a lawyer for her and all of that stuff. But so although she had those, you know, had that, her name was Cookie or whatever, her name is Cookie and, you know, but she wasn't no joke, mm -hmm. you know? So, but but to your, to your point, there are folks that did get, mistreated. And as a result of that, you know, folks became a lot angry. They got strength. They got stronger. They became the person that actually was, you know, you start out being mocked and teased. And then two, three years later, like now you the guy that's controlling everything or more or less the tough kid. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the shame piece, but did you feel um, bitterness or anger towards um, her proclivities because right we all know like when yeah. you are when you're addicted you can love your children you can love your family you could have the greatest of intentions but that substance is going to come come first so did you feel any animosity towards her nah and it's weird for me because i i, I definitely give a lot of credit to my mom my grandmother as well as my um, father because you know we it was we was we was indoctrinated with no matter what just love your mother unconditionally mm -hmm. like she's beautiful like and just continue that way so I never had any anger or type of uh, 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 resentment to her personally although I I was frustrated early on you know when there were several attempts to try to get her clean and I a little more embarrassed when cer certain people around if I had a girl that wasn't from the community I yeah. didn't want them to see my mom in that type of condition I mean you know I know she done stole from me throughout times and pawned some of my jewelry when I had I had had to go retrieve that back but I didn't have I didn't have any anger towards her as at all type of resentment to her personally her condition absolutely mm -hmm. but I I love my mom you know it's funny I graduated from high school in 99 and um you know when she uh I look at this pictures but she was there you know yeah. high as a high as a mother but she was there you know um and just just happy and you know I hugged her so tight so it, it you know it was the silver lining and it was you know I learned a lot throughout her struggle as well as our struggle. Um, I'm blessed and fortunate to not ever use a drug in my life. As mm -hmm. a result of that, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't indulge in anything. Um, and some of some folks that I grew up with wasn't as fortunate because you know they really you know reciprocated the, the things that they saw that they visualized from their parents and things like that. But I've been on the fortunate side of not getting caught up with any type of uh, substance. So you mentioned um, the addiction side as a, as a user, but you know we all know in certain environments there can be a pull either to use or be engaging in criminality. Yes. Another way. Did you ever feel that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I had my stinks with the law. Um, I, my addiction as a result of that, I, um, I, I was really good with money. I was addicted mm -hmm. to money. I was addicted to a hustle. I, I hustled. I did some things in my life that, um, product being as a result of being a product of my environment. And, um, I looked at, uh, when I, in retrospect, I see like, wow, I did pick up some addictions, right? Like, 
behavior characteristics that whether it was me, I like I used to like to gamble a lot. I had a real bad gambling addiction, but I liked the money. So, you know, ever since I can remember, I was packing bags. I was pumping gas out of dock. I was um, shoveling snow. I had all kinds of hustles with to supplement, you know, my hardships. But it brought that out of me as a result of my conditions that I was in. And then one day my mom was like, yo, your addiction, you're addicted to money. And everybody like, yo, I was a saver. I was a, I was a serial saver. Uh, was a person that I'm still that way. I'm very frugal, but but I'm just driven to actually, you know, I like to stay busy. And <laughs> it's funny because I think that I was, those characteristics was breeded out of that. So, um, yeah, man. Well, how, how Were you a serial saver while also um, leaning towards gambling? Yeah. So really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird thing, right? It, like I had a discipline. So gambling was a hustle for me. I had a discipline until I ran into Atlantic City and kept thinking that I could beat the casino mm-hmm. at one point. But I was disciplined. I wouldn't, certain amount of money, I would just allocate to gambling. If I lose that, then I'll wait till I more or less re-up with some more money before I start gambling again. And my confidence level was pretty good. Like, you know, as a result of that, I always felt like I could win and I believe in that law of attraction. So I was always on the plus side of gambling when I didn't run into the casino. Mm -hmm. But like if I gambled locally in the streets... And things of that nature, I did. I was pretty successful with that. And was your dad still in your life at this point? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, he's still there, still checking. I would like like to be a little more impact, but he's dealing with some of his own mm-hmm. personal stuff. But solid dude overall, very strong. You know, very stubborn. So we sometimes we disagree. Um, he became complacent, but I thank him for being complacent because I'm never complacent as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, one thing he always said to me that that always stuck with me was like, I want you to be greater than me, you know? So, and I, and I'm grateful for him being there. Right. Like I think back, you know, not a lot of us had our fathers in our lives. Right. My dad always came and got us, you know, he used to wholesale. It's funny. We down here by 28th street. And when I learned finances, Mm -hmm. me and my brother, we used to come down here with my father and he used to purchase products for a certain amount of money and then go resell it. But he would have us with him all the time. And this is when we, this is when we embarked on our journey of actually learning how to interact with people. You have Mm -hmm. to be a social buff to actually be able to be a merchant and sell things. And, um, we also learned how to count, know how to read people and know how to persuade people and and be persuasive in whatever we're selling. So definitely, man. So you have, you're in a situation where you're being raised by your grandmother in this community. Your mom um, has her struggles. Yes. Your dad is is present, um, but in your own words, had gotten complacent. Yes. We all know in those types of environments, if you um, get a decent job, you're good with money, you might be doing a little something on the side, Absolutely. right? It might be on a straight and narrow knot. There's a lot of people who have that life. They're quote hood rich, like they're doing okay. And they're all right with just that. Um, where did the drive come from to say, there's something I could do outside of here and I'm going to figure out what that something is? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was the first person on my my mom's side to actually her mother's side or whatever to actually graduate from high school, which my immediate family, you know, my brother's had his GED. He mm-hmm. actually received that in, in prison. But, you know, I graduated high school actually, in fact, a year earlier. Um, the conditions that I was around, I actually despised a lot, although I were there. But when I think back, I mean, I for the most part, I don't know one of my friends that didn't have a relative that didn't struggle with substance abuse, right? It's kind of crazy when you look at that. Um, and we all had dysfunction, but we all had harmony and happiness as a result of that. But my drive came from, I never wanted to be faded. So everything that I witnessed, I always wanted to do the opposite, right? You know, I wanted to be, well, I didn't eat pork. I didn't do drugs. I, I saw things that I, I disliked. I always wanted to uplift my community in a weird way, even though I got sucked in some things and actually being a part of the problem, you know, at some point in my life. However, I was like, even in the midst of that, I always find myself re- reading, you know, I always wanted to better myself socially, economically, um, spiritually too as well. So, and I didn't want that for me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't want it. I wanted to break, you know, this generational curse that persisted. So I just was trying to figure out a way and trying to understand my purpose, understand myself. But I, I knew what I didn't want to do, but I actually didn't know how I was going to execute it, right? Like I remember in school, I was studying political science at one point and I thought that was the way I wanted to go to law school. <laughs> you know, I was, a, I'm a big dream. I'm still a big dream. I, I like to call it a visualizer, but um, I just didn't want that. You know, that, that was just it. I just didn't want that. And, you know, when I look at my grandmother, rest in peace, she, um, I was her closest grandchild. So she died in 2000. I graduated high school in 99. 
And um, that was like the happiest moment. So she dropped out of school in the sixth grade, raised her brothers and sisters, her siblings, then raised her kids and then her kids' kids, right? But with no education, mm -hmm. but she was just a hard worker. That was, she just was re so resilient. And no matter what the, no matter what was going on, she always wanted better for us, right? And make things better, right? It was always a place that was home. Um, and I and I looked at that and I'm like, you know, my grandmother didn't settle. Like, you know, she she had what she had, but she didn't settle and she never complained. She never made an excuse or a complaint. I don't know how she got it done when I look back. And, you know, she was a housemaid, you know, scrubbing the floors of some folks. Um, and I'm like, damn, how, what type of income? She got it done. Mm -hmm. She got it done. So when you got out of school, high school, yeah. was the plan like, you had mentioned that you wanted to study political science. Was the plan like, I'm going to school, I'm going to college right away? Yeah, so I initially started, I shout out the BMCC. I went there, but it felt like high school right away. I did go right away, um, but... At that point, I wound up, you know, being around, you know, getting involved with some illegal activities, which in turn was kind of like easy for me. So is it, has a statute of limitations passed yeah, before we start yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, this? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So cool. tell us a little bit more. I mean, you know, we, we get into the nitty gritty. On yeah, this show. yeah. So what happened exactly? I mean, I was a hustler. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was in my community. I was hustling, um, engaged, you know, and, and I'm going to give my, my book a shout out, right? From crack to construction, right? How mm -hmm. the construction industry changed my life. So that's a plug for later on. Okay. But, um, you know, I started hustling, you know, uh, and selling, selling drugs. And um, it was relatively easy for me at the moment. Um, I was good at it. I did well in it. You know, I mean, it's a conundrum saying you're doing well with doing something wrong. But um, and I just became addicted to that, addicted to the hustling lifestyle. So battling, trying to serve two masters at the time. Right. Want to go right. But at the same time, I'm embarking on something pretty much lucrative and hustling. And um, I, I just I just was there. I was stuck. I was in this abyss right now, you know. Um, and then come coming with that, it comes some catching some cases, right. doing some time, getting arrested, and um, you know, fighting cases. Uh, and then it was the time where I just had to really make a real decision. Like I can't can't battle. I can't serve two masters, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I'm too bright and too uh, smart, and this is what I feel, and too resourceful for myself to allow this to be the to define me. Right. You know, but, you know, I, I think and you may have gotten this question before. And yeah. I think people ask this question a lot when those who have been affected personally by drug abuse in their own family. You know, how could you sell knowing what it can do to somebody's life? Did you ever think about that? Not at all. I mean, I did. But it's weird, though, because I would I, I've sold to family members mm -hmm. and I was under the guy. I was under the school of thought that you might as well get me rich. And then when you decide to get your life right, you know, I have the money because mm -hmm. you're going to buy it anyway. Um, and, you know, it, it was very hypocritical, right? The way that we thought, you know, they lied to us, they bamboozled us, they indoctrinated us with a way of thinking and thinking what was cool and what was not cool. And it, it's not cool. And, you know, I was a hypocrite at times. I knew better. I should have done better. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm on a pulpit. But at the same time, I'm, I'm living a double life. But it was hard. I mean, it was hard because it was easy to actually do some of the things that I've done and it was it was right there. Right. You know, um, but in hindsight, you know, you realize like it wasn't a way to go. But I also embrace where I came from, yeah. you know, because it actually made me it, 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 it impact me so much. It's one of the main ingredients where that I'm extremely successful in my professional life as a result of going through the things. Right. Being intuitive, being able to read people. My street smarts enable me to be able to read individuals when I come in a room, when I'm making a deal, when I'm signing a contract or getting a contract signed. So when I think back, you know, it's the saying, right, you've been around the world once, but you met everybody twice. Mm -hmm. This is true. So you able to recognize people because I, I know these characteristics. I've seen it before. So right. when I know the grafted type or the snake type, I dealt with them growing up. Mm -hmm. I had to survive. So, yeah, I think, you know, people often say one of the things you always hear still TV shows, real life, whatever. When somebody gets involved in a drug trade is like it's only two ways out of this. Like you going to prison or you're going to end up in the grave. Um, but I think sometimes what people fail to realize is when you grow up in these environments, you're conditioned to believe that this is a way and there are risks that come with that. But it's it is survival mode. And in, in my mind, I, I see it very similarly to people who. Um, and I may get some criticism for saying this, people who enlist to go to war, 
Like, you know what the risks are, right. but this is the opportunity that you've chosen to take and, and these are the paths. And you're not thinking about the risk in every moment, even though even though you know that it exists. And at some point it may crystallize for you to say there's got to be a better way. But I believe that there are a lot of people when they've grown up in that, they've been conditioned to believe that this is a part of my survival and I've got to accept the risks along with the reward. Yeah, I mean, you know, I call it occupational hazards, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly Ro- what I mean, yeah. fall off the roof. Right. Um, firemen get on fire. Right. And, you know, people that do crime go to jail. Um, you know, we normalize behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right. That shouldn't be that way. Right. It's, we take an abnormal situation and we make it normal. And it's brilliant if you separate it being done in an illegal way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when we get creative and we do we go into survival mode in terms of how we know how to make food stretch, how we get creative making a sandwich, how we survive. Those are beautiful ways to go about surviving. Now, when you when you trapped in and like I said, it all goes back to my dad. I agree. Like I think back my horizon was broadened from early on mm-hmm. um, learning about, you know, the greats, you know, from throughout the world. And I've, I've been blessed to travel throughout the world as a result. But we'll get to that. Um, but learning about those things early on, you know, Mansa Musa and all the great people that came before me. But this is was my father. So although I was stuck in it, it's like if you if you guys remember, remember Belly. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my friends that that moment in Nas were, yo, I'm gonna go to Africa. Like all my, all my friends that know me, it's like, yo, that's how Just always was, even back then, right? Like I was I was nurturing, I was loving, um, a peaceful brother, you know, in spirit. So even though I was indulging in some things that were wrong, I still had a was looking ahead and right. like, yo, this was just a temporary moment. Um, and it's hard, right? Like it's hard. I, I mean, I refrain from because you know it's two things that I I really don't like to incorporate in my and you know in my in a way that I communicate in terms mm-hmm. of making an excuse or, or or complaining. However, you know, it comes a time when I have to mention that, that it's difficult and it's hard right. for people to actually overcome their conditions, right? When you take when you take a, a, a kid that has both of his siblings, both of his parents are on, on drugs, right? What could it, what is it that you can do? Mm-hmm. What is it there for you to do? Easy to say that. Then you get in the system, then the same thing that you witness is actually perpetuated in the same system like before you know it, whether women are becoming promiscuous, I know girls that their outlet was selling their bodies, mm-hmm. right? To generate that, you know, us on the other end as guys, we wound up getting into the life of crime, venturing in that because it was hard. We didn't have no desire for that, but we went and stole for our food. Right. You know, we went and had to get get some ice cream. We didn't have that. We was going to steal it, like, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, and I think, you know, people look at my personal story and my professional story and who I've become, and they assume that, like, I come from this specific, you know, type of family and not knowing that DeMarcus and I, you know, our, our father struggled with substance abuse, was engaged in illegal activity, was in jail when I was in a baby, all of those things. But the reason why my life turned out differently is because I had exposure through my mother to a whole different way of living um, and who made certain decisions to make sure that I knew there was a better way. I wasn't exposed to certain things outside of him, et cetera. But when you, when you have people who are in, in the middle of these environments in the thick of them, that might not be the story, Absolutely. you know, and you and I think sometimes in our in our communities, we hold up the people that that came out. Right. That made it out. And it's like, well, he made it out. You know, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and made it a different choice. Why why can't you do that? And why can't you do that? Everybody doesn't have the same resilience or the ability to see a better way. Absolutely. You're always going to have those exceptions, but it doesn't cancel or nullify the norm that Absolutely. people are experiencing. And this is why it's incumbent upon us to do that. Right. And mm-hmm. Carter G. Woodson, you know, Miseducation of a Negro, which is one of my favorite books. He simply states that it's it's our responsibility to reach back and pull those up, mm-hmm. right? Once we make it out. So this is, you know, this is why I'm actually having a, <clears throat> my career is so important to me when I'm actually able to effectuate change and reach back and grab the little brothers and sisters and give them a pathway, you know, to the middle class or a career that can actually counter anything they think. Mm-hmm. Because what good is it if I if I rise above the madness and I didn't do nothing? And oftentimes this is my issue, right? With a lot of blacks in particular, I'm saying is that people will highlight what they did. But when you say, yo, who you reach back and grab, right. you you didn't grab anyone. You didn't pull no one. Mm-hmm. I made it. I'm I'm fortunate and I'm blessed. And I'm grateful to be in an op, be in a, a, the space that I'm in. But it don't matter if I'm not grabbing nobody to pull them up. Right. If I'm not helping nobody. Like, my story is nothing if I'm not doing the work. And right? This- so when I look at, when I look back, when a guy tell me, and, you know, I got to give you some highlights, some positive stuff with my mom, for an example. You know, my mom is, what, I think 16 to 17 years clean. 
plane now. Mm-hmm. You know what wow, I mean? That's great. And a um, guy named Tiki, he just passed away. He says to me, yo, you out here doing all of this, you're getting money, you looking good, but you're not really good if your mom ain't right. Like, mm-hmm. how good are you if your mother's out here getting high? And I'm like, wow. Unbeknownst to him, I already made several attempts to, to intervene in my mom's life and help her out. But I wasn't doing a good job. Although it was on her, I didn't, I didn't do a great job at all those times. So I came and I'm like, Mom, what's up? You ready? She's like, I'm ready. I'm like, you sure? So at the time, her brother, my uncle, he lived, he had moved to Atlanta. So, and I'm like, all right. So I'm like, all right, get smoke as much as crack as you want, get high as you want. This was at the time when we was able to get um, you could just go to the, the store and get like a regular ID mm-hmm. and you could still get on a plane. It wasn't a big deal. Like this was before 9-11. Yeah. So you could just get on a plane and, um, you know, she got on a plane first. She was on a plane, scared of fights, high as a mother, you know, sitting back geeking. I don't know if you guys have been around people that get high, they geek and they tweaking, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but she ain't looked back since though. Wow. You know what I mean? And, um, shout out to her, man. So she's definitely been doing well and doing great in that regard though. So it's, 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 it's beautiful, but that was, that was my introduction on reaching back, mm-hmm. right? Like going back to our communities and helping, we may not be able to save everyone, but you know, we, it, it's important to pay it forward. And I, I think that lack of reaching back sometimes happens because the survival mode carries over. Right. So like you made it out the hood, you made it out of your circumstance, but you're still living in this. I'm just trying to survive. I got to look out for me and try to make it work. Uh, slightly, and I'm not saying I slightly that is, disagree with that. Though. No, but I'm here's gonna the tell thing. you why I'm gonna go out. Okay. But here's the thing. I'm not saying that that is conscious. And I don't think there are a lot of people that would absolutely admit to it. But I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that as a people, sometimes we we live with such a fear of lack that. We're holding on to what we have and just trying to make sure our, that we're secure without taking the time to make the sacrifice. It, that may probably be true. But mm-hmm. what I think about it as being immersed into it, everything I did was really to shit on somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. When I bought my when I bought my uh, what I bought, a 735 it was. Um, what was it? The seven, seven, 745. 745. Right. I bought mm-hmm. the 745 cash. Right. So I used to go to heavy dice games. And I bought it cash, but it was really the shit on everybody else that was hustling. Like, if your title got a lean on it, don't bring this shit around. You ain't getting no money. When I went and bought my rolling and my chain, I'm only doing it to shit on people, though. So when you think about it, we only buy cars because it's really, all the shit is a glorified sundial now that I know this, right? But I only really bought that watch to say that you ain't got it. Do you think so, that applies, hold, though? I'm, get, I'm going to mm-hmm. there, though. So when I get out, I'm only... When I act like that, it's only the shit on you. Like, f***ing peasants, though. They bums. Like, know what I mean? I did mines. They better do theirs, though. I'm good. I made it out the hood, right? But it's only I'm only making it out really to shit on the people that are still left there. Think about your aunt that came around, right? I had a... <laughs> I don't want my cousins to get mad at me. But anyway, um, think about when people have siblings that are doing well, right? Or in-laws or aunts or somebody when they come around. When they come to the... To the excuse my French, but when they come to... You know, honor something that come to that Thanksgiving dinner. She why she throwing on her mink really though, or act stuck up really to 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 belittle or make the whatever brother or sister that's not doing well feel less than. So that I, not to say that you don't have a point. I just feel like it's easier. I think that's just an easy cop out for people to say I'm protecting minds because no one is gonna invade my sector anyway, right? You know what I mean? First law of nature is self-preservation. I'm not going to never allow anybody to invade my circumference and my space. I can't save you without saving mine first. But I feel like I have a moral obligation and I have a duty, right? Once I'm informed and I'm privy to a certain level of information, I have a responsibility to reach back and give that. And I think that as, as people of color, what we typically do is we, we when we find out about something, oh, I ain't telling them. But everybody else already know, right? It's my friend Lai. Let me give you an example. He a bus operator now. So he'd been a bus operator about, let's say, four or five years. So Lai's like, yo, Just, why they ain't tell us this shit back in the days that you ain't need a high school diploma, right? This is what he said. He's like, yo, to make almost 100 grand driving a bus, they ain't tell us. We was gambling with people at our table that was bus operators, but never told us that. But you would have other groups, other demogra- other groups from other backgrounds. is a whole bunch of them in, in, you know, in the bus operator industry because they passing that on. But when I think back, yeah, I got my job. You know what I mean? You ask a person, how you get that? You got to go, man. It's hard, man. I didn't ask you, was it hard? How do I go about it? So I just think from my personal experience and what I witnessed is that some of the things that, or a lot of things that I've done was was merely not to feel so good, but really to make someone else around me feel less than. Mm -hmm. And see, I think for me, and I understand that perspective, and I do, I do think there are people within our communities who 
come home to stunt. No doubt about it. Um, the other perspective that I have, though, in some instances, I do think if, if somebody, to, to use your example of bus operator, right. if, I'm, if I'm holding that close to the vest and I don't want to tell somebody, it's because I believe that there's not enough to go around. I believe that if, if 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 I if I let if I let you in on it, then then you might take something from me. I live my life personally under the law of universal supply, so I I can have and you can have and you can have as well. So for me, those feelings are deeply rooted in lack or fear of lack. That but, that's just but, my but, thought. But, but, yeah. his, but it goes back to my point, and mm-hmm. you are true. Everybody else doing it already. Mm-hmm. They're already doing it. Like we, I'm not we, saying we, it's logical, we, but yeah, no, say, <clears throat> we got this crabs in the ba- in the barrel mentality where. <clears throat> It only could be one of us, right? Mm-hmm. And only like even when me being the youngest labor leader, right, in my industry and in my organization, right, I I I felt resentment or resistance from a couple of brothers that was there before me, right? They was in, they was insecure about themselves. But what happens is it could be a whole bunch of other white guys. There's no problem. The minute a brother or sister, even women, have it, they get that. Oh man, she coming to take my job. Why we only make it feel like it's only space for one of us, and we should be making it more. Who's to say that it's only supposed to be one woman, right? Who's to say that it's only supposed to be one? We've been marginalized, and we continue to accept that. Like, nah, we not supposed to accept that. So. There's a thousand bus operators, though. This you, is my point. You don't want yes. to tell me, though. I'm not going to take away from you because mm-hmm. other people getting a job anyway. But I, 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 although I do agree with you in some degree, but coming from the community I came from in particular, I believe a lot of this stuff was to outshine or outdo somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and they just, I'm, man, shit, I got my job, man. I, right. I got girls. I got that good. Where you get the bundles from? I'm not telling you, but you want your head because you don't want nobody else <laughs> to look good. though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so moving on to more of your story. Yes. Um, catching charges. You did time yes. at some point? Yes. How yes. much time? I did almost six years in prison. Almost six years? Yeah. Really? Yes. So was it at that point coming home from doing a bid that you were like, I, I got to do something else? No, nah, but actually before that, I um mm-hmm. was like that. But, you know, it really was, you know, um, fighting. You know, the thing is this, right? It's for me, I've been... The police, you know, they had a habit of trying to, like, give me some trumped up charges, right? Mm-hmm. I, I faced some serious charges, right, on several occasions, you know what I mean? Um, and when you hear the DA and a district attorney saying, you know, he's an educated criminal, you know, he's a sophisticated thug, right? Like, these are the these are the assertions that was thrown out there about me. You know, they think he's a the, he the black mob or he's, he's a person like that, right? And having a lawyer that is the, one of the biggest lawyers, if not the biggest lawyer in New York City, Stephen Murphy, I love you, man. Shout out to him. Um, these were the things, though, that... So I had to realize that, A, is... Because a lot of times, I had to remove myself from an environment and an area to actually not allow myself to... Uh, I never would, like... You know, I never... No, never aspired to be like a jailbird. It was my mm-hmm. first and last bid that I've, I'm ever doing, right? The only thing that could put me in a situation is my someone threatening, you know, my existence and my family for me to feel that way strongly about that. But other than that, they got had that shit, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Excuse my French, but nothing, nothing is cool about that. However, my greatness, I would, you know, I was stuck. You know, I was stuck knowing, right, I was already too deep in, in terms of the, the, to actually look back at the moment. Um, and, uh, so even then, I knew that, you know, I, even during my, like I said, even throughout my hustling days and running the streets, I always like viewed and saw bigger things for myself and wanted more. Um, when you, if you know a lot of people, people like, yo, Jess was always smart. Like I, like I was hustling going to school, right? Like mm-hmm. I was doing those things. I was, you know, some of my friends now, and they're like, yo, you like ghosts minus the snitching, right? And power, right? <laughs> um, and uh, like, what was it? Like the wire, like Stringer Bell, mm-hmm. things like that. People that was actually trying to like swift change their life up. But um, as a result of coming home from prison, to your point, you know, I had to really dedicate myself. And it was a struggle. It was hard trying to realize. I, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go, but I knew where I, I didn't want to go. Right. If you understand that. Yeah. And um, I had to make a choice to really commit myself and really invest in you know, myself in terms on a positive side, because I invested myself a lot and it, it, it's paying its dividends, but I had to really commit to that. And I said, and one thing to my dad is when we talk, I always remember things that he always said. He's like, yo, look, the street's going to be there though, champ. Like, look, these guys, is they still on the corner 20 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Listen, if this is what you really want to do, it's going to be there. It ain't going nowhere. Came home, right back in the fix of things, things is there, but try something different. You never know. You might like it, you know? And as a result, I committed myself to actually embarking on a journey of trying something different, and and I and I love it. 
So how did you discover this world of unions? Yeah, so great. Um, working non-union construction and I'm a hustler. I'm like, you know, I'm getting paid $15 an hour and nothing against the boss that I had at the time because he was a great guy, gave me an opportunity. But when I realized that I'm making $15 an hour and over there they're getting $30 to $40 an hour for the same, mm-hmm. for the same thing that I'm doing, I'm doing the wrong, I'm being out hustled. I'm being hustled. So as a result of that, this is when I learned where I could get top dollar for that, which is becoming in the union. And I'm like, I need that. <laughs> right. I need that. So you know? I think those of us who don't have any affiliation with the union, don't know much about it, we all just assume it's very difficult to get in. So how'd you make it happen? Yeah. So let's let's be clear. There is some there, it's, it's so the difficulty is only there because of the lack of understanding of mm-hmm. it, though, right? And they are difficulty because I'm a laborer right now. I, I attempted to be in the Steamfitters Union, the um, Elevators Union, as well as the Plumbers Union. Mm-hmm. I was unsuccessful um, in that regard. I became in the Laborers Union, which is a lot more inclusive and a lot more diverse, have the most people of color, have the most women, and a lot more, um, more or less easier, a lot more transparent when it comes to getting in. So I applied. I'm working on union construction at the time. I applied. On a, I applied, went on an interview and mm-hmm. I got accepted in. I came up throughout my apprenticeship. Um, at this time, I'm going back to school, but then I realized I could switch my studies, going to get another degree, which was labor studies at the time. So when my, my school sent me away to Cornell, I mean, my union as a result, as a result, when, once I became on leadership, I um, was sent away to Cornell and a lot of other trainings and schools and things like that. But to your point, um, you could go on a department of labor for folks that may not know, and you could just type in your regent and you'll find out when there's openings. You can Google. There's a lot of pre-apprenticeship programs that help you get into the trade, such as pathway to apprenticeship, mm-hmm. construction skills. Construction skills help them help kids that come directly out of high school that can actually get into the trades um, and pathway to apprenticeship as well. So it's a pre-apprenticeship program. You do that for several weeks and then you can actually pick the trade that you feel comfortable with or you ha- want to go to. And then it helps you get in. I didn't know nothing about that. Mm-hmm. at the time or whatever, but there are a lot of programs out there. And um, just because something is hard, don't stop trying to get in it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of uh, negative, uh, uh, there's a there's an antiquated narrative out there about the trades aren't being an inclusive and women and people of color can't get in. And although the, the, they are truth to that, um, however, there's a lot of work that has been, are, that is being done and has been done to actually change that narrative, right? Um, and you're going to have people on the opposite side and say like, yo, uh, minority workers can't get in, but the alternative is not to make $15 an hour though, like, right. with no benefits. We could talk about that and how, you know, the trades are, need to do more work and so on and so forth. But the alternative is not that, not to make $15 an hour with no benefits. And when you speak about having a union career, <clears throat> you get a pension, you get annuity. And give you an example. My mentor is retiring after 20 years right? Next year. And he's retiring with a half a million dollars in his annuity, not to mention his double pension that he's going to have besides whatever savings that he saved. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a half a million in your annuity where you never got to touch that money. You never touch that money. And your pension. Like, you know, so the union is the only buffer in between the middle class and the top 1%. This, right. is, the, this is the folks that actually could assure, making sure that people have a livable wage. And coming from a knowing the history of this, because I'm proficient in labor studies, that we continuously were marginalized people, people of color, right? My, you know, my, my analysis of slavery was just that it was all about economics, right? It just came off the backs of Blacks, right? Mm-hmm. But it was all about capitalism. This was the introduction of capitalism. And this is what's going on now. But this is why it's important. Now, let's look at all the struggles that we had. Imagine if, now my grandfather was a hard worker as well. On my mom's, on my dad's side, he picked cotton in the South. My mom's side, hard worker. But they weren't allowing them to get into the trades. Mm-hmm. So imagine if he was able to get into the union, father get into the union, How what that could have did for our generation. Right. The same way that I'm actually doing for my children now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm able to afford them an opportunity and, you know, do things that I've never could have, I mean, I dreamed of, but I didn't think was possible growing up. Right. You know? So, um, yeah, the union is the way, man. And, you know, you don't really need high school diploma and that's it. Why tell Why tell us to go to, it's like, you go to college, you go get a master's degree to make $60,000 a year. And I but actually, you could go get a trade with the high school diploma and you make it six figures. And I, I want to touch on this. Though, like, no. I'm, I, I want to touch on that because there's one narrative on the one side that's like, oh, they're not letting black people in. But there's another narrative where I think the tr- trades are still looked down upon and people feel like they have to go into a corporate job, even if they're going to make a fraction of what they would make in a union. Why do you think that is? 
because the aesthetics that's associated with it. Mm -hmm. It's not attractive. It's a dirty job. And then a lot of people don't really know that, um, what it is. So when I tell a person, and I love it though, because when I pull out my YTD, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? My year to date next to a person that's in the corporate world, not all, because I know a lot of affluent people that are there, but just regular jobs. I'm going to get the master's. I'm talking to someone yesterday. She's, she's going to social work and I'm like, okay, you're going to your master's after that. She's at Hunter. And I'm not knocking it because all work is necessary. Mm -hmm. I'm just using it as an example. Yeah, I'm going to be making 60000 though. Like, I mean, I made 60000 about three months ago. You're like, like yeah. You know By I mean? the like, time I looked up in uh, the spring, early summer. <laughs> yeah, I'm already at 60 though, right? Yeah. Like, and um, And then, you know, this is what I'm saying. So, mm -hmm. but it don't look, it's not... It don't look that way. However, this is why it's, 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 it's my responsibility to make it attractive and explain it to people. This is why I go to career days. This is why I speak at high schools and educate the young people that don't know anything about the trades. Let them know like, hey, and then folks is like, wow, I never knew that right. I could be making this type of money. Right. I never knew that. Um, and um, and maybe because it's not a it's not attractive in that regards. And, you know, once again, you know, the law of just having on a shirt and tie and, a, and feeling some type of way makes some people feel a little of important. Mm -hmm. And it's like. But, you know, what's crazy. Me having, a, you know, I know about Wall Street. A lot of those suit and ties are actively managing the funds. Right. For these unions. Absolutely. Like there's so much money. And funds is invested. Yes. In there's so there. much money yep. in wealth management for funds. Absolutely. Because, this is why yeah. annuities is making the returns that it's making. Right. Right. Like I could pull up my annuity statement now. Right. <laughs> for an example, this year, and I didn't do nothing. It's just my annuity. Mm -hmm. uh, the year's not over. I already made fourteen thousand dollars on my mm -hmm. annuity. Just fourteen thousand. Know I mean, right. I, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even do nothing. So out of my check, about eight dollars is allocated to my annuity, to my welfare eight. fund. Eight dollars. Mm -hmm. Eight dollars is being invested to that. So this is how people all in the trades are buying their houses. Yes. When you go buy your house, you go get your check from your annuity. You could take that out for your, your college fund for your kids or yourself. You could go purchase your house. Or if you run into any type of hardships, you can take your money out. But why you, you don't even have to save for your house. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to you don't have to save none of your money. One of my buddies just bought his house, first home. He's a he's a first general, he immigrated here from um Honduras, just had his first kid, just bought his house in Jersey though. Um next to Inglewood, just bought his house. So like, yo, you know, mm -hmm. didn't have to worry about nothing, right to his annuity. So speaking back to your experience, are there additional challenges or is the path to entry still clear if you have a record? So the beautiful thing about the trades is that your record don't mean shit, excuse mm -hmm. my language, nothing. There is no box that you got to check whatsoever. In fact, we actually have programs that set that's a reentry program. So P2A is every year, Several times throughout the year, we do a reentry class and we actually um, bring about 20 to 24 different locations. We just finished a class in Coney Island. They just graduated yesterday um, where we go to disadvantaged communities and particularly the reentry community. We go there to give them a pathway to, to the trades. So to your answer, you could, as sad as it is, you could be a murderer, you could be whatever. It don't You don't check no box. Mm -hmm. However, like if you aren't working on certain sensitive projects, you do got to pass certain background checks. Okay. So if you're working at the, like, particularly like a Port Authority project, you got to pass SWAC, which that is separate from the union. And if you get cleared, then you're allowed to work. If you don't get cleared, then you can't work on that project. Mm -hmm. But there's a, there are a plethora of jobs that you can actually work on. And it don't matter. In terms of leadership, yes, there is some type of restrictions that can prevent you from having leadership. Um, you have to have, um, you have to be home under the law. So the trades actually had organized crime. You know, the mob, the mob, the mob played a lot, uh, uh, was involved in the, the trade, the unions for a while. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So the history of that, where a lot of corruption persisted. So there's a federal um, guideline that you have to be released from prison dealing with certain charges specifically in order for you to actually have a, a union leadership title. Mm hmm Right. You could still be a rank and file person and work construction. But in terms of having a leadership role, you have to be home from prison for 13 years. 13. Yes. Wow. In order for you to actually have that. OK, but it's still 13 is a long time, but it's still not impossible. No, nah, yeah. nah, not at all. So let's talk um, a bit about From Crack to Construction. Yeah. This is a book that you, that you wrote. Well, yeah, I didn't I, I didn't write the book yet, mm -hmm. but I have some notes. I, I want it to be a memoir. Mm -hmm. um, I actually going to um, uh, uh, write a book like that. And that's the title. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I actually want to tell my story. I was reluctant to tell my story in some spaces. I really don't indulge in that. I come in 
even when I meet, I don't even introduce myself as a person that's reentry or formerly right. incarcerated. And as a result, I, I've, I've, I've seen people use that as a pretext to actually justify their shortcomings. That's just my humble opinion. So I don't introduce myself as that. I'm successful. I can pull out all my accolades and show you the hard work. And then by the way, you know, I'm a person that come from this, just mm-hmm. my opinion. And a lot of people don't even know, oh, wow, Jess, I never would have thought that. I never would have known or thought that you was a person that actually was quote unquote incarcerated. Um, so, and I'm not shy about it. I'm unapologetic about where I've been through, although I feel like there's a place and a space for that when it in time be. But this book, I actually want to bridge the gap and show how the construction industry can actually change people's lives, people of color lives, how mm-hmm. it changed my life. And I'm witnessing the lives of others that are changing. The book, I want, you know, speak, you know, very intimate about my struggle, about the things that I dealt with <clears throat> hard, get a little more in depth to, you know, some, some things that I've been through, but also show that there's a how to get to where you at. You know, I don't like books that are hard reads where people just success and then, but it's, you know, there's no transparency on sure. how to actually get there. Now I want to connect those dots and I'm going to go step by step from being on parole, what I did every day, like how I did this, what my day was like, how, how, how determined I was. Um, so, and that, that's very important. And, you know, I envision that. So I have some things together and I'm, I'm hoping 2020 will be the year that it actually come together. Okay. Um, a lot of the experts and economists um, have been saying for years that at some point the middle class will be no more. Yeah. It'll be upper class and it'll be those living below the poverty line. But it sounds like talking to you, you believe that that the union piece could bridge the gap. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we just recently got into this class, this classism type of thing. You know, we was we always just working class. We're proletarians, yeah. right? Like they, you know, the top one percent you know, like to put people into certain class, like you was a blue collar guy, you was working class, right? Like, even though your father could have been a bus operator, mm-hmm. he still owned a home in Queens or somewhere else. And it, it appeared to be middle class. But I, I truly believe that the union is the main buffer that can actually stop people from continuing to be exploited, right? So people think that, hey, it's like the political time that we're in right now. There's a lot of discourse about socialism, about class, about all of this stuff. But What's important is this. I could care less how you look or if you that the common denominator, we union brothers and sisters, which is mm-hmm. important. And I just don't want to be taken advantage of from corporate greed. And that's yeah. what's going on. And, and it's not to say that I have a lot of friends that's in the corporate world and I'm not telling them that they don't have a right to make money, but you have a right to pay a livable wage. though, mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> you know, and people have a right to retire in decency. People have a right to have uh, uh be able to feed their family. You know? and, and I think, too, one thing that you brought up, which I didn't even know, is your union was sending you to school. Absolutely. I, I don't think people know that that's an option. I think they view unions as like, I'm going to just go be on a roof all day or be at a construction site, and I'm never going to ex- expand my mind, which is inaccurate. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I read a lot. I'm an avid reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the guys that... Uh, Reginald Lewis is uh, one of my personal... Love him. Yeah, so you know the Watch title... Why white is... guys have all the fun? So, you know... <laughs> Marcus is... and I are huge fans of that book. Right, yeah. so I love... That's my... His book is mm-hmm. my thing. So I'm like, hold up, man. Like, you know, I, I'm humping. I'm, you know... But I, I believe I can outwork these guys. I'm... Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm smarter than a lot of these guys. I know that, right? I'm I'm very confident, right? People misconstrue no, really? my, my confidence with arrogance, <laughs> but I, I believe in myself, right? And I had to. And walking through those rough times, I had to tell myself it was going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So I had to reinforce that continuously in my mind. And this is this is who I am. But um, yeah, Reginald Lewis, wash away guys have all the fun, mm-hmm. right? Like, why? Like we can we can aspire to do more and we can do it. Like, just do it. Like I know there's can be some forms of resistance, but you gotta push the envelope. Like, mm-hmm. don't don't fear them at all. Yeah, you know? and you ended up getting your full BA, all right? My BS. Yeah, yeah, and labor labor studies. Absolutely, right? yes. Which I'm sure you apply. As, as a unionist. Of course. Mm-hmm. I'm a, in labor studies and in the fact I'm about to actually, they're going to pay for me to go shout out to them. They're going to, I'm going to go to Baruch. I'm going to get my MBA, particularly when mm-hmm. I'm getting to that. Um, so it was interesting though. They sent me to Cornell, um, but I was in a certificate program in the ILL school. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And, you know, there's there. Like you got other trades like Local 3, the electricians, their requirement is for their apprentices to go to school. So by minimum, they finish with an associate degree. Okay, That's a free education. They can continue on with their bachelor's degree as well. So um, the plum is you can go there and they take care of that. When you come in with something positive to actually elevate yourself, your union is nine times out of 10 is going to back you for that mm-hmm. and reimburse you for student for for uh, tuition. Now, your annuity you can take out even if your union don't 
you know, pay for that. You can take that out for yourself to go to school. Mm -hmm. And there's a plethora of scholarships, you know, like even when I went my first year, I had got this Levine scholarship for labor studies, but I had to be in the building trades in order for me to get this scholarship. So making the money that I'm making, I never had to pay for school. Wow. Yeah. So tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. It's great. So, um, and this is most recently too. So is it in... It's an individual that's in my union that I actually was incarcerated with. Now, no one in my in my union knew personally about my background. I never choose to disclose that. And um, I didn't fall under the 13-year cuff mm-hmm. at this time. And this individual was, was harassing me because he, like I said, a lot of black guys, well, he, him and I was incarcerated, shared the same space, but not being together because mm-hmm. you, you just knew me from there, but we don't really know nothing. Anyway, he actually wanted to do what I'm doing now, right? And wanted to emulate me and... It wasn't successful, right? Um, he claimed that they said that he couldn't be hired because he wasn't home for 13 years or whatever. And he went and um, so he was harassing me for some time now and just trying to put my personal business out there to people like, yeah, but they ain't hiring me. What about just now? Nobody knew that, even if they suspect that, because I, I believe they, you know, it's you born with an automatic understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Certain things, mind detect mind, you can actually witness and see where someone may have been without without even asking those questions. And I don't ask questions in the streets. <clears throat> I don't ask personal questions. I don't, it, it's irrelevant. I'm not, it's like me meeting you. I'm not going to ask you where you physically live. Right. Like, what's your physical address? I might be like, hey, where you from? Mm-hmm. But not like, what street you live on? Nevertheless, this guy was doing this little stuff to me. And um, one time I go up to him and I'm like, hey, listen, I never done nothing to you. Could you please stop telling my business? or whatever, or talking to people, or he introduced me like, yo, I was with Justin. You wasn't with me, and I wasn't there. Anyway, speed it up today. About, I want to say about a couple of months ago, this kid takes out on his Facebook page, go up there and say, and pull up my criminal record. Blasted that, though, for a moment. So the day before that, I actually went up to him, and I'm like, listen, you know I'm not a slouch. Like, please, man. Like, you know what I mean? Leave me alone. I'm, you know, I felt like baby boy uh, Melvin when he was like, every time a person trying to get along, you know what I mean? These dudes just messing with you. And I'm like, I'm begging you. Like, I'm, and this is the first time in my life, so extraordinary on an ordinary day, this is the first time in my life that I'm begging someone to leave me alone mm. without physically acting. So he does this, though, now. So the streets, once again, you have to be light years ahead of everybody, right? If you hustle, you have to save bail money. If you doing something, you got to be prepared for whatever. Mm-hmm. I always suspected that people would try to derail my success as a result of that. So I've been cleared and vetted this type of law, right? I already knew that it didn't apply to me because it was a clause in it that didn't specify my charge in particular. Ah, okay. Unbeknownst to this idiot, he just heard felony conviction. This is what most people think. And I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a litigious type of guy, right? If I'm, I'm a vet, something like, hold up, I'm throwing it on a wall. Have my attorney look over it without even body know. This is years ago. I'm already on top of my game, but I'm not gonna let you. You ever seen a movie, um, The Score? Not the whole thing in its entirety. So anyway, the score, it was a part, the ending of the movie is with Robert De Niro and Ed Norton. So they were together doing a heist. Robert De Niro was an old-time heist guy that was an extreme veteran, was extremely good. And Ed Norton was an up-and-coming guy, but all along he was trying to, like, out-fox De Niro. So towards the end, at the end of the movie, he's like, hey, um, Ed Norton calls Robert De Niro like, yeah, man, I just wanted to let you know that you're not that good. I got you. I'm paraphrasing it. But then Robert responds like, what you got? You got nothing. You got nothing. So the guy looked in his bag. His, his bag was empty. But all along he always thought he was getting De Niro. But anyway, bring it up to the date, this guy is um he disclosed my personal business. I'm I'm upset because, you know, I've been in people's houses and a lot I've been around, you know, I, I sit with a plethora of politicians sure. to this day, wealthy people, right? Like billionaires. I got meeting all kinds of elected officials, personal people that's personal friends of mine that I never disclose my business because it's not it's not their business and it's my place. I own the rights to my story, right? right? Like you don't own my rights. And so I'm a little, I'm angry. I'm talking about I was, I was messed up for for like a week, like a couple of days. Now, my boss calls me on the phone and then the business manager. So the way that the structure work in my union, I work in the market development department. My boss is director of market development and then my business manager. So I get a call about six in the morning. Now we know those type of phone calls. Right. So he's like, listen, now that night, I'm tight. Somebody, I'm not on Facebook. Like I'm, I'm quasi on there, but I, you know, just in stealth mode, but I'm not a, a user like that. I don't follow this kid. So kids, people sending me this, the screenshots, mm-hmm. they sending the receipts. So I'm like, this is crazy. Like, yo, Josh, you can see this. Wow. And I'm like, yo, do you, I'm, you know, I'm telling you though, like I'm, I'm extremely tight. Like, so I, um, 
I'm frustrated. I go out. I go out that night and I'm just having a bad night. Like I'm really realizing this now. And I never had a conversation with the with the with the higher ups in my union as well. Mm-hmm. Right. We never had a conversation. Never asked me no question. So um I'm just playing it out, seeing how I go, because he put it up, deleted it. I get that call six in the morning. My boy's name is Chaz. He's like, hey, Just, what's up, man? Hey, I'm sitting here with Pro and Bob Chevy. Bob Chevy is the lawyer. So he's like, listen, you seen what this kid uh, Paris did? I'm like, yeah. He's like, look, we don't know what's going to happen if you're going to have to go back in the field because mm-hmm. this have happened to someone before. Um, and I'm letting him talk. He's like, yeah. So I'm cool. And I'm like, um, I just want to let you guys know that this guy was bothering me for a while. I'm on the phone. And I said, by the way, that that law don't apply to me. What do you mean? My conviction is not listed under that. So Bob Chevy's like, I'm convicted of criminal possession of a weapon. It's the only charge that's not listed on that. Wow. Only charge. I'm talking about hundreds of charges, but my one charge, one clause. Bob Chevy's like, that's your only charge? Yes. He's like, he's right. The lawyer get excited. Like, wow. So they drafted up a memorandum and all of that. So bosses, they like, listen, man, do me a favor. Don't do not. So like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. He's like, no, I want to do something to this guy. Like they that frustrated mm-hmm. because I'm doing good work. Right. I, I came up from the bottom the right way. Never stabbed nobody in the back. Never done anything. Didn't do anything wrong to nobody. You know, um, and for someone to take something from up under me that I truly love, that I found my happiness and my calling with, that I'm actually changing the lives of people in my life and my community. Um, so it was it was tough for me, though, yeah. to not even respond to that way I've been Somebody, I come from an element of, and I tell my kids, somebody hit you, you hit back. So I had to, that was the most difficult point in my life where I couldn't do anything. But I also feel good because, you know, I'm here. Like, you right. didn't do nothing to me, though. So, I, and that was that was one of the hard, most recent hardest things in my life, though. Fighting with do. the letter of the law. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, and I got to tell people, man, just if you believe in the process, you trust it and you just work hard. You know, they, and there were other outs that the, the local itself could have went down and got, you know, I already had my expungement. I got my certificate of good re- uh, disability, good mm-hmm. relief. So those are other things. There were other mechanisms in place to actually circumvent that, sure. even if I had to like step down for a little while. And, you know, because, you know, I come, I'm in the industry, I'm in a local, there's never been a black business manager. Business manager is the highest position. And um, a lot of people envision, and myself, I envision being a leader, a labor leader that far up, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, it's undeniable, it's inevitable for me. I'm, you know, I believe in the law of attraction. I'm going to be there. Sure. So, um, and but it always would be your own, right? In the words of Malcolm X, they always gonna send someone that look like you to to hurt you, though, mm-hmm. right? And and that 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 happened. But I'm here, man. So so what does the next five years look like for you? The next five years is uh, <laughs> um, planning on having another child, two mm-hmm. two more kids, two more. You yeah, playing no my, game. So from five to seven. No, I'm I'm work. I'm on my fifth. I'm now. working on the fifth. The fifth is sixty six months pregnant, mm-hmm. six and a half months, baby's out here because I wanted to name him Lumumba. Or whatever, mm-hmm. or Patrice. That's one of my personal heroes from the DR from Congo. But you know, Congo, formerly known as Zaire, I'm gonna yeah. go with mm-hmm. that. I would like to have one more after that. Um, and also, I just want to have a. I believe I should be done with my um, my MBA or my master's, one or the other. At the time, I'm not sure where, where it's gonna take me, but I will be done with one of those by that time. And um, I'm I'm gonna be in I'm gonna be in a special place in leadership in mm-hmm. five years. I'm gonna be on my executive board. I know that, and I'm gonna be a, a, a fierce labor leader that's running around. I, I'm also contemplating running for political office too, right? I had I still have some. I'm still flirting with that. Okay. Um, I really don't know how my past would actually um how that would play out. Mm-hmm. I already did my research. There's nothing that can prevent me from holding office in terms of being a convicted felon, but um. So I'm 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 not running. I'm thinking about Congress or City Council too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's something that's on one of my potential thoughts. So okay, and where can people find you? I know you said you're in stealth mode, but are you are you online? Are you speaking? Yeah, on, you doing other things? Well, I'm on Instagram, mm-hmm. but I'm in stealth mode a lot. Um, I do vet my Instagram. Um, but I'm there at just eighty four. Um, I'm at your local rally. I'm at your local protest. I'm at anything dealing with any type of uh, social movement. I'm there. I'm on the ground with that. I'm at uh, any type of labor dispute, any type of issues that's going on around the city. We work, we network across. We work with other, I work with other labor groups. Um, other political groups have a lot of allies in the industry. Um, I'm working on this real reentry campaign that's actually gonna gonna be. I'm gonna have a citywide campaign to help a lot of people that's coming back home. I'm also another thing I forgot that I do. I'm also um, a counselor. I work with uh, troubled women at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, hard to place women. I'm a supervisor there at uh, the organization that I work for. So I'm actually just I'm on the ground with just trying to change some lives in my community and reach back. Uh, 
Um, but the most important thing is is the real economic development. Sure. Right? Like I tell people, right, uh, this is the only way that's going to actually counter everything. Right. Like once you get finances, it's like a guy. He's like, yo, man, you know, this is it, man. You know, and if you know, I'm, I, I'm not opposed to college because I believe in higher education. You know, I'm I'm one of the talented tenth, so I have a little bit of Booker T and a little bit of the boys inside of me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but uh, I'm around, you know, and anyone need any help, any assistance in that regards, and pointed in the right direction, I, I relish helping people. I enjoy that. I truly do. And helping my people, people that look like me, come from my community. I help others, but you know, I'm more inclined to help people that look like me. So. Absolutely. And for those who are here in New York, do you know where they can go online to find more about these pathways to, to yes. union work? Yes, absolutely. Um, pathway to apprentice, p2a.org. Um, that's that website, constructionskills.com.org, I believe. Uh, rebuildingtogether.com. And you have the Department of Labor. You can um, look up wherever you at. You can look at for all the unions that's having openings. I represent Labor's Local 79, um, General Builders and Construction. Um, and you could just look for any union, any trade union, any construction union um, that's that's actually open. And a lot of them are going to be open and soon. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. All right. Thank you. And for thanks for coming on. Anytime. It's a pleasure. And to our listeners, you know, we are huge proponents here. There are many paths to success. Absolutely. There are many paths to creating generational wealth. Absolutely. Um, and we're here to feature all of them. There's not many one way that somebody said recently that they felt like the show was a little bit too white collar for them. Um, but I but I feel like guy, I feel you like know? we're diversifying and we're telling our stories because um our stories are not a monolith for sure, even though they try to put us all into one box. So we appreciate you Absolutely. coming on. To those who have interest and learning more about justice um, and the work that he's doing or the opportunities that he has mentioned, please check it out online. And you could always reach out to us as well at info at December26.com if you want to be connected. We'll make that happen as well. Like, share, subscribe to this show. We can't do this without you. We appreciate you so much. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thoval. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.